Lord, we are here in your presence today. There's really no other place that we'd rather be and no one else that we'd rather be with than you. So we welcome you, beautiful Savior, glorious one, wonderful. So good. So faithful. So worthy. We humble ourselves under your mighty hand today and submit ourselves to your word. You who are the living eternal word, we welcome you now to come and be the now word to us today to speak to us words that will bring transformation to our lives. Change us. Transform us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Bless you, friends. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Well, this morning we are continuing a study that we have been in for the last couple of months in the book of James. And so if you have your Bible, I would invite you to turn with me today to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. This um, small letter written by James the Just, the half-brother of Jesus Christ and leader of the church in Jerusalem, is a powerfully impactful message for us today, one that resonates in our lives in very practical ways. It's why we've entitled this whole series, Faith That Works, Practical Wisdom from James. James really helps us get a hold of how we are to live our lives here on a daily basis. And this morning, we're going to be looking at something that that really is relevant to every one of us, no matter what our background or culture or age or experience or education or anything, that what we're speaking about today, the message which I've entitled God Willing, is something that that affects and impacts every one of us in a very direct and real way. And I'd like to begin this morning by sharing a story with you that some of you have heard me share before, but it's uh, very relevant to the message that I believe the Lord wants to impact our lives with here this morning. It's the story of a high-powered entrepreneur who was committed to do whatever 
it took to make his enterprise successful. Just, just this morning I was reading, or last night I was reading in um, Leadership Journal, which is a leadership for, uh, a journal for Christian leaders, and it was reviewing a book that someone has written, and in this book the, the author has um, done an interview and a survey with over 200 of the top leaders in business, in church, in all, and, and, and all of those things, and done this and kind of condensed and solidified the particular characteristics of those leaders. And a couple of statistics and things stuck out to me. One of those was that uh, the average amount of hours per week that those leaders work was 68 hours a week. And the second was the incidence of divorce and family difficulties within the context of those families was way beyond what um, might be anticipated among a nor- you know, the, the rest of the population. And so the story that we're talking about today is not something that's simply theoretical today. It's something that's very real and very practical and very much a part of our culture and perhaps a part of some of our lives here even this morning. So this entrepreneur that we're talking about would do whatever it took to make his enterprise successful and what it would take would be everything. He found himself absolutely consumed with his work, 12 to 14 hours a day. He worked weekends, and his work became not only his occupation, his work really became his preoccupation. His wife would often try to slow him down and remind him that he had a family, and his kids would complain about wanting to play ball or eat lunch together or just even read a book with him. But although he was Uh, He valued those things and believed them to be important. Somehow, he never found time for them. And so eventually they stopped complaining because, well, they stopped expecting. And he would say to himself, you know what? I'm going to be more available to my family in six months or so when things settle down. In fact, that was one of his favorite phrases, when things settle down. And although he was an intelligent man, he never seemed to realize that things never seemed to settle down. One day, early in the morning, he had a twinge in his chest. So his wife made an appointment for the doctor, and they told him that he had a slight heart attack. He's got high blood pressure, high cholesterol. He needs to make some changes in his life, and for a little while he does. But then when the symptoms kind of dissipate and disappear... And all of the pressure to make those changes, the motivation to change, go away. He begins to let go of the disciplines that were helping him begin to live a more healthy life. And besides, he says to himself, there'll be time for all of that when things settle down. Then one day, a co-worker comes to him, the controller of the company. And tells him, you are not going to believe this. Things are going crazy. They are booming. And we can hardly keep up. It's like a miracle. This is our chance to strike the mother load. This is the time when we 
can make our, you know, everything that we've hoped for and longed for. But at the same time, we're going to have to make some major changes. We've got inventory headaches. Demand is outstripping supply. Our software is outdated. If we don't overhaul things from top to bottom, it's going to be a disaster. So from that time on, our entrepreneur, he lived his life like a man possessed, working day and night to make this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. He's going to put his company through a technological revolution. And he says to his wife when he goes home, you know what this means, don't you? Once I do this, our future is set because I've anticipated every contingency. I've covered every base. We're going to be truly secure for the rest of our lives. We're going to be able to take vacations. We're going to be able to slow down. But she'd heard it all before and didn't get her hopes up. That night, at 11 o'clock, when she started to head up the stairs to bed, she poked her head into the study and said, are you coming up with me? And he said, you go ahead, I'll be up in just a few minutes. At 3 o'clock, she woke up and she realized that She was in bed alone. She went downstairs to the study and she sees her husband with his head in in his arms lying there on the keyboard of the the, uh, computer. She thinks to herself, "He's, he's just like a little kid. He'd rather fall asleep at his computer than, than, than get up and come on upstairs to bed. But Then as she got closer, and she touched his arm, she realized that his skin was cold. She called the paramedics, but by the time they arrived, all they were able to tell her was that he'd had a massive heart attack. He'd probably been dead for several hours. Well, as you can imagine, The death of this entrepreneur, this major leader of industry, made headline news in the financial community. There were obituaries in the Wall Street Journal, Business Week, Forbes. And it was really too bad that he was dead because he would have loved to read what they wrote about him. They had a major memorial service for him. The whole financial community filed by the casket and said, the same comment that people always make when they file by past the casket, they said, well, he looks so peaceful. Well, death has a way of doing that. Life gets very tranquil at that point. And then they eulogized one of the leading entrepreneurs, an innovator, a developer of new technologies and delivery systems, a man of principles, a straight arrow. He wouldn't cheat on his business, his taxes, or his wife. Someone else talked about his civic achievements, how he networked and knew everyone. And when they went out to the cemetery, to the freshly dug grave, and they put the memorial stone there in place, it had... These kinds of words on it, entrepreneur, innovator, visionary, pillar, creator, networker, success. 
And then they all went home. And that night, late, when the cemetery was empty, dark, unseen, unheard, the angel of the Lord comes and goes past all of the other markers and the memorials and the tombstones. And he comes to this man's marker. And with a finger, adds one word to that tombstone. And you know what that word was? Fool. So hard. Is God calling names? No. But God is giving an accurate assessment of this man's life. Luke 12, 20. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. Many of you have figured out by now that the story that I've told is simply an update of Jesus' parable the parable of the rich fool in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. But I wanted to share that story this morning in the context of our message out of James today. Because I believe that the parable, the picture that we've just read, gives an insight, an illustration into what James has to share with us this morning. So again, if you have your Bible and you're looking in James chapter 4, we're looking at James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. My thanks to Pastor Tom, who shared the first portion of James 4 last week with a powerful message about God's jealous love for us, His people. And in verse 13 to 17, James continues to instruct us in a very practical way about the way that we should live our lives here on earth. He says, now listen. And the words there are very um, abrupt. And it's like he's getting um, right up in our face. I don't know if the kids still say getting up in your grill. I don't know if they use that phrase anymore, but he gets right up in there, gets right up in our face, right up nose to nose, and he says, now listen. You who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, we will spend a year there, carry on business, and we will make money.
just for a moment, I want you to understand the, the words there, the phrasing, even in the Greek, is this sort of continual present tense of here's what we're going to do. We will, we will, we will, we will. We're going to go to this or that city. We're going to spend a year there. We're going to carry on business, and we're going to make money. Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Let's be real this morning for a moment. Can, can you just say this with me for a moment? I, I'm, I am a mist. <laughs> Ever seen a mist? You, you know, we, on our way to Chicago, on the way there, we were driving. We left on Thursday morning, and we were coming down, and we were just coming down uh, to cross the river to go over into Wisconsin. And as we got close, right when we got to sort of the end of Woodbury, and we were just just beginning to to make the descent down into the river valley and then to come up. This mist was there. It was just, it was suddenly, it's like you were walking into a, you were driving into a fog. It, It really was fog. But I knew the sun was up there, and it wasn't going to be long before the mist was gone. We're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Deo valente, God willing. Say with me, God willing. God willing. I am a mist, God willing. God willing. We will do this, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes and all such boasting is evil. Well, let's just take a moment to unpack this for us today. So let's bring it in and bring it home to where you and I live. Because maybe you're saying to yourself this morning, well, I'm not like that entrepreneur. I'm not a multimillionaire. I'm not working all those hours a week. I'm not trying to do all of those things. And yet, if we are truly honest with ourselves, and if we really allow the Spirit of God to begin to come into our lives here this morning, perhaps we will discover that for many of us, and this is, this is the reality that many of us live with, is for many of us, we may be believers in Christ and yet living our lives as practical atheists. We're believers in Christ, but we're living practically as if God is as if we were in control of our own lives, right? Is this true? 
Okay. So how do we shift? How do we make a transformation? Well, the first thing is this. We need to embrace the reality that life is brief and uncertain. That's why it's important to simply remind ourselves, maybe every so often, just to say, you know, I'm missed. Here's how Job put it. Several different verses in in Job. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle, and they come to an end without hope. As a cloud vanishes and gone, so one who goes down to the grave does not return. My days are swifter than a runner. They fly away without a glimpse of joy. Now, of course, Job is in the middle of his trials at this point, so he's, you know, his perspective is, is fairly gloomy there. But he once again properly orients our lives in reality to the fact that life truly is brief and uncertain. Now, planning in and of itself is not wrong. But when we are depending on those plans, that's when we probably have some issues to contend with. Because planning presupposes that you and I have control over the future. Does anybody here have control over tomorrow? Anybody actually really know what's going to happen tomorrow? You don't know what's going to happen in the next 15 minutes. You're hoping the message might get done, but, you know, right? And you're planning for lunch and all of that, but, you know, and it's all right. You got something in the crock pot. You've planned ahead. That's not a bad thing. However, when we become dependent upon those plans or when those plans are the things that give us the sense of security, that's when we begin to have issues. Because life is brief and uncertain. And many of us have a mistaken confidence. Proverbs 27.1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. So what do we boast in? What are the things we boast in? And, and, and I'm not simply talking about things that we're glad about or happy about or, or you know, the, the things that, that bring joy into our lives. I'm talking about the things that provide us with a sense of security and stability and serenity in our life. Where are you finding your stability? Where are you looking primarily for security? For some, it's in their work. I have this job. How many of you have ever had the experience of losing a job? You've had the experience of losing a job. How'd it feel? Pretty secure right then, huh? If you were putting your security in your work at that point, you were struggling, right? Sometimes we put our security in material things, our bank accounts. Anybody ever, um, anybody ever had something happen that has been a significant financial reversal in your life? How was that security when the security was in the material things? 
family. How many of you have ever had challenges happen in the context of your family? Maybe you've lost a loved one, or maybe there's been uh, issues or difficulties, or maybe you've gone through divorce, or you've gone through um, just various kinds of challenges in your family. How many of you have ever had family challenges that you've faced? Friends. Finding your security in friends. Oh, we used to love that song. That was way, way back. Friends are friends forever, if the Lord's the Lord of them. Okay? Beautiful song. How many of you have ever lost friends? Friends that you thought you think, right? Friends. Desires. You've put your security and desires and things that you thought were going to help you find security and success. Maybe it was, um, you know, a, a various entertainment or, or some kind of special toy that was going to make you happy or whatever it was, but you've found desires and you found that those desires are like missed, right? Come on, we've all had that. And then there's causes, things that are all-consuming and they take so much of your attention and your energy and you're, you're, you're just giving yourself completely to that cause. And somewhere along the line, there's some disillusionment that comes in and you realize all of this energy and, and, and everything that I've put towards this effort has sort of come to naught. And I'm left feeling sort of empty. If you've had that, you know what I'm talking about. First John 5.21, the very last verse of First John. He comes to the end of his letter and he says these words, Dear children, keep yourselves. It's so easy when we read the scriptures and we read about idols to think, well, that's for, that's for those people, people that, that carve things out and put them up, you know, and you walk into maybe someone's home and they've got a, a, some, some idol up in, or a shrine or something like that, and you think, well, thank God that's not me. And then you go home to your 70-inch screen with your Barca lounger. And we don't make the connect. About the ways in which subtly we get drawn to center our lives around things other than God. There's nothing wrong with work. There's nothing wrong with material things. There's nothing wrong with family and friend and desires and causes. The problem becomes when those things become the focus, the primary focus of our attention. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. So we need a reorientation. What's the reorientation that we need? Well, simply it's this. I'm going to give you two things, and then we're running to home here. So we're really are, God willing, we're almost done. All right. 
Trust in God. Because here's the central issue. The issue is, what are you trusting in? That's that security issue. What am I trusting in? Am I trusting in these things, or am I trusting in God? One of my favorite scriptures is in Isaiah chapter 50, 10 and 11, which says, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. But now... But now, but now, all of you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches, go and walk in the light of your fires into the torches you have set ablaze. This is what you shall receive from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. Ah. Promise. Trust in the Lord. And prophetic caution, light your own torches. How many of you have ever lit your own torches? You know. I've been there, done that, more times than I can count. So I can give testimony that this is true, this verse is true. And I've also learned and am learning to trust in the Lord. Even when I can't see. Maybe especially when I can't see. When I can't see, keep on walking and keep on trusting. Yes? And value the present. As the, as the little saying goes on the Hallmark card, um, today is a gift. That's why it's called the present Today's a gift. That's why it's called the present. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. To number, to, to live in the context of the present so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So I want to close by talking about then what is this wise heart? The, the heart that is in touch with this reality of God willing, what does that heart look like? What is a, a wise heart? Because James tells us at the end of this passage, chapter 4, verse 17, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So now that we know this sin, and we talk sometimes about sins of commission and sins of omission and sins of, you know, and, and, and we get wrapped up around that. What I want to focus on here this morning, I believe that what James is talking about is now that you understand, now that your hearts are beginning to be reoriented and you are beginning to say, God, you are at the center of my life. What does that look like in my life practically? How do I live that out now that I know? Well, first of all, what the first characteristic of a wise heart is a heart that is oriented beyond ourselves. It's oriented beyond ourselves. Let me give you just a little bit of a, um, a, of a uh, reality check. I think if we were to scratch below the surface probably of every one of our hearts in this place, 
we would find this reality. I know I have found this reality more often than I care to admit in my own life. As I've scratched away the surface around my heart, I have discovered this, that I am self-centered. I'm sorry. Was that shocking to all of you? Pastor, you? Yes, Pastor, me. And my, my guess, because I've known a lot of you for a long time, and I've known, is that probably you struggle with that too. You know, we'd love to have the worship song where it's sung, It's all about me, Jesus. And all this is for me. But James 1.27, earlier James told us, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. In other words, live beyond yourself. Live beyond yourself. At the end of the day, the one with the most toys does not win. The one who has invested wisely their life into the lives of others, that's the one that is the true success. Oriented towards God and his purposes. Um, Come back to the text for just a moment. It says in verse 16, As it is, you who boast and brag, all such boasting is evil, that, that bragging, that arrogance that's there, that's, that's spoken of, is, is a word that's only used twice in the New Testament. Once here in James 4, and the other time here in 1 John 2, 15. It's the same word that's used there. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the word, world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh... The lust of the eyes and the pride of life, the boasting, that's where it's the pride of life, come not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the word of God lives how long? Forever. To be oriented towards God and His purposes is a wise-hearted person. And finally, oriented beyond this world. If you've got your Bible, turn back to Luke 12 for a moment to the parable that I just began the message with. And I want to finish here with what Jesus says immediately after he says this parable in Luke 12. Go to Luke 12, verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, right after he told them the parable that I shared with you at the beginning of the message, he says, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, about what your body and what you will wear. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? 
Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. And that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. How much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. And don't worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Don't be afraid, little flock. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to the poor. Provide for yourself purses that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I love that. Because that's a very reorienting and important word. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Well, I, I, can't, I can't get involved with something unless I feel, you know, unless my heart you know, I've got a burden for that, or I want to do, you know, or whatever. I can't, I just, you know, that would be hypocrisy. And so we sit back and we don't do anything, or we don't give, or we don't, we don't give ourselves away. But the Bible's very clear. It says where your treasure is, your heart's going to follow. So if you want to have a wise heart, begin to have it oriented even beyond this world. Don't lay up all, you know, spend all of your energy and effort on things of this world when you know that this world is fleeting and passing away and life is brief, look beyond and lay up treasures in heaven where your treasure is. There will your heart also be. This is a rather bracing word. James is like that. (laughs) He braces us with reality. And he calls us beyond ourselves. And he presses us in places that can make us uncomfortable. But it's in the context of that discomfort that transformation comes. God is safe. But that doesn't mean that he's always comfortable. Because when he comes, he tells us the truth in love and he speaks to our hearts. So please hear my heart this morning. These messages, as I shared with you many times throughout this context of this series, the Lord passes the sword through my own heart first. And I recognize that, God, I need you to come and help reorient my own heart. So this morning, if we could stand together as we close, we're going to sing this song.
And um, if the Lord has spoken to you in some way this morning, and you just recognize a desire in your heart to reorient your life around Him, first of all, if you've never come to Christ, if you've never welcomed Jesus to be the Savior and Lord of your life, today is the day of salvation. Today you are invited to come in. Today you are invited to come into the family of God and to receive forgiveness and to receive Jesus who loves you wildly and desires nothing more than your best. And you can begin just by surrendering your life to Him, by recognizing your sinfulness, asking His forgiveness and thanking Him for His work dying on the cross to set us free. And I'm thinking that this morning here in this room, for the majority of us, we've taken that step. So that's maybe not the issue. But the issue then that we face is a practical atheism. We know Christ and we know God and yet we live our lives as if we're in control of them. And this morning there's an invitation to come in and surrender again to Him. So I'm going to just open up this altar. If you need to come while we sing this one song, we're going to sing one song and I'm going to pray a prayer of benediction and then we'll keep worshiping for those that want to and when you need to go that'll be fine. But as we sing this one song and it's sort of a a prayer, a song of prayer, if you go, go ahead here. Oh God, you are my God, and I will seek you in the morning, and I will learn to walk in your ways, and step by step you'll lead me, and I'm going to follow you all of my days. So, oh God, you are my God. Let's, as we sing that, let that be a prayer of your heart this morning, and if, again, if you want to come to the altar, come. And then I'll pray for us. Let's just open our hands. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we are not left alone. We are not left without a guide, without a light, without, without love, without hope, without mercy, without grace. Those are all things that you freely give to us to help us to walk here, to help us to see, to help us to understand. Lord, we pray, I pray right now that for each of us, Lord, um, you've been examining our hearts and inviting us to examine our hearts and to look, Lord, at the things that we have treasured. And Lord, we confess we have not treasured you. We treasure so many other things. We put them in front of us and they blind our eyes to see you and all of your greatness. Lord, we thank you that you are such a loving and compassionate Father and a loving and compassionate God who says, I know this. I know this about you, yet I invite you to push those things aside, to push those things out of the way, and to look and see you. So, Lord, that's what we want to do today. We want to move those things out of the way, those things that are taking up space in our hearts, Lord, those things that are taking up space so that we cannot see Lord, we pray right now. I pray for each one of us, Lord God, because you're the one who can do it. We can't do it in our own strength, but we can with you. And Lord, we invite you to come 
Come and do the surgery that needs to happen. Come, Lord, we just pray that our hands, that you'd help us to ungrasp and to open our hands. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you are the greatest treasure that we could ever, 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 ever want and ever need. And, Lord, we thank you that you have all that we need, Lord God. So, Father, we just pray right now for each one of us, Lord God. We pray that as we go from here, Lord, and we go and we come in contact with those idols and those things that want to push in front, Lord, that we will remember, we will remember, you are our treasure. You are our delight. Hmm. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. So be with each one of us, Lord God, as we go from this place, Lord God. We pray, thanking you that you and all of who you are, Lord God, goes with us. We are never alone. You are always with us. Thank you, God. And it's in your name, the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.